Well, good morning, everybody. Great morning. Lovely to see you all. So this week's anxiety dream was this. I woke up Friday morning going, ah! Um, I was on the stage speaking to you all. After about five minutes, I ran out of things to say. So I went to the loo. <laughs> and, uh, and then a little while later, I was walking back, and Sim just sort of came and got me and said, are you all right? And I was like, I've got nothing else to say, Sim. I don't know what to say. Um, but anyway, I'm thankful to say that God actually um, met me uh, yesterday morning, really, and helped me just get this thing sorted for this morning. So, um, so I have got something to say, so I'm sorry. It is going to be longer than five minutes. But, um, but yeah, so this morning we are talking about James and John, sons of thunder. Ooh. <laughs> so it's very exciting. Um, so yeah, so James and John, who were they? James and John were the sons of Zebedee. Um, Zebedee was a successful businessman um, in the fishing industry, um, and uh, they were a well-to-do family. Uh, they had servants, and um, they were clearly doing all right for themselves. Um, they were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, probably because of their feisty character. Um, Jesus actually was the one that gave them that name. John was the younger of the two, and was referred to as the beloved disciple. Uh, James was quite quiet, except when he wasn't. <laughs> and uh, I think there was a little bit of impetuousness there. Um, James and John were part of the inner circle, so alongside Peter. So James and John and Peter um, were the ones that Jesus took with him into certain events that happened during his ministry. Jairus' daughter, um, the transfiguration where they went up the mountain and, and God just revealed something supernaturally about who Jesus was to John, James and Peter. Um, all part of this sort of emerging revelation really, this, this idea that this person, Jesus, was, was different. There was something different about him um, and there was something very special. And so James and John and Peter were really the ones that were being entrusted with this revelation alongside the other disciples, but, but clearly they were a little bit special in, in some way. They were also there um, when Jesus uh, was in agony in the Garden um, of Gethsemane before his death. So they were with Jesus at that very vulnerable time um, in, his, in his ministry and in his life. So, our top trumps. I don't know if Hannah filled these in, actually, for me in the end, because I'm, I'm such a noob. Oh, she did. Bless her. I couldn't work out how to get the information onto the card. Oh, I did all the slides myself. Anyway, so James, um, uh, anger, 99 out of 100. Attendance, 100%. He was there. He was, he was alongside Jesus. Um, sibling love, 50%. You know, they kind of you know, got on all right, and they were called the son of thunder. And John... Anger, 99 out of 100, pretty high on the scale there. Again, his attendance, 100%. He was there with Jesus. They were alongside him. They were faithful. And sibling love, 50%. They, uh, you know, they probably had their, their times of, of falling out. And Sons of Thunder, I imagine there were some interesting dynamics in the household uh, with those guys. Um, so, yeah, they were, they were bold. They were, I would say they were probably quite entitled as well. Um, we'll, we'll look at that a little bit. There's one of the stories of, of their, their time with Jesus where you just think, hmm, maybe a little bit spoilt, maybe a little bit entitled, um, as we see in Mark 10. They were quite feisty and impetuous, um, zealous, warm. They were lovers of truth. 
um, and uh, they, they were passionate. They were passionate people, um, and uh, perhaps a little bit prone to speaking before they think. Um, we, uh, Paul and I went to a parents' evening for Jasmine, our middle daughter, um, at Mountbatten School when she was in year 11. And um, Jasmine, she won't mind me saying this, well, she probably will actually, but she's not here, so hey. Um, Jasmine is, um, is unique uh, in our family, really, in many ways. <laughs> what can I say? She's the middle child. Anyway, um, she didn't really like school very much. It didn't, it didn't do a lot for her, and she really found a lot of the teachers just so dull. Um, sorry, teachers, but she, you know, that was just, she just found it all very difficult. Anyway, we got, we got to, we were all suited and booted because we'd just come from school where we work, and, um, and we, we got to the English teacher, who Jasmine really didn't have a great relationship with, and, uh, and the English teacher sort of looked up at us as we arrived with Jasmine next to us, and she went, oh, I wasn't expecting that, and then looked down, <laughs> and, um, and Paul and I kind of looked at each other as if to say, Oh, okay. Did she really mean to say that out loud? You know, so obviously she had an impression of what Jasmine's parents were going to look like, and it was not the suited and booted, come from school, professional kind of couple, whatever we look like. I don't know. So, uh, so that was quite funny. So she sort of said that, and then she kind of looked down and just say, "Oh no, did I really just say that out loud?" <laughs> but it was uh, so. So yeah, perhaps James and John were a little bit like that, a little bit sort of speaking before they um, think. So let's, let's read um, of their call, of where we first see them mentioned. I'll read it off the screen. Uh, so, Matthew 4. Walking along the beach of Lake Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, later called Peter, and Andrew. They were fishing, throwing their nets into the lake. It was their regular work. Jesus said to them, come with me, I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you, and I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. They didn't ask questions, but simply dropped their nets and followed. A short distance down the beach, they came upon another pair of brothers, James and John, Zebedee's sons. These two were sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their fishnets. Jesus made the same offer to them, and they were just as quick to follow, abandoning boat and father. From there, he went all over Galilee. He used synagogues for meeting places and taught people the truth of God. God's kingdom was his theme that beginning right now, they were under God's government, a good government. He also healed people of their diseases and of the bad effects of their bad lives. I like that, the bad effects of their bad lives. So, what do we learn about James and John as we're thinking about adventure? What do we learn about them and their adventure with Jesus? And what can we learn from them in terms of how we can be living our lives and this adventure, and as we go into this year of adventure um, that, we, that we're talking about. I think the first thing to say is that um, they obeyed. They obeyed. Can we have the next slide, Aaron? Can we have the next slide, Aaron? <laughs> That's it, there we are. This is a lovely picture. Isn't it beautiful? Aren't they young? This is Paul and I, 27 years ago nearly, <gasps> May 1990. 27 years ago, I was sold into marriage because my family were very poor and Paul was from the kingdom of Watford Odium and it was very rich. No, Anyway, we got married and on the day we got married, I promised to obey Paul. Now, obedience isn't a very fashionable thing these days. 
And when I said I was going to promise to obey Paul, people were quite surprised by that because, you know, my generation were emerging as a generation of women who perhaps were not going to say things like that, uh, perhaps not promise to obey. Um, and I think obedience is a difficult thing to talk about in this day and age because often it's associated with power and abuse. And often obedience is not something that is used well. And um, I don't believe that's what true obedience is uh, all about. It's become tainted, and therefore it's seen as negative. In our relationship, I would never, ever have promised to obey Paul if I had thought that he didn't have my interests before his own. And I would never have promised to obey Paul if I didn't 100% trust him and trust that he had my best interests at heart. Because actually we're a team. And my obeying him, well, I haven't actually, have I probably, ever since I made the promise, to be fair. <laughs> you could talk to Paul about it. Um, he actually um, said then in our wedding speech, he, he, he gave a speech, and, and he said that um, I had actually disobeyed him by promising to obey him because actually he had expressly asked me not to obey him and then I went ahead and obeyed him, said that I was going to obey him. So that put me in a right old muddle. But anyway, the, the, the fact is that I did promise to obey him. But, but you know what? In all seriousness, this, this thing about obedience, it's not about um, power and in that sort of imbalance of power and authority. It's actually about, it is about submission, but it's about submission in terms of the other person's best interests. And it's not for the gain of the person that you are submitting to. So James and John obeyed. They just obeyed. They just got up and they went. Did you know? Interesting fact. It takes 10 minutes to make every, an everyday decision. It takes most people 10 minutes to make an everyday decision. Um, and when it comes to meals, apparently, we spend three minutes thinking about what we're going to have for lunch every day. We spend five minutes thinking about what we're going to cook for dinner, just on that decision. And um, six minutes deciding what wine we're going to buy. Well, I never have that problem. <laughs> it's more like two. But um, so, we, so we take quite a long time over everyday decisions. We take for granted, I think, that James and John and Peter and Andrew, just got up and left. They just got up and followed. They obeyed. They obeyed the call. Because we just have sort of grown up with those Bible stories that, that say, yeah, and the disciples got up and went. But let's just think about that for a minute. Think about the impact of that and actually what they were doing. These were real people with real lives, with real aspirations, with real selfish desires, real things that they wanted to do and achieve in their lives. And yet they heard the call of God. They heard Jesus. Jesus says, come, follow me. And they went. They got up. They left their nets. They left their father. They went. What made them go just like that? What was it? What made them go just like that? Would you do that? <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're at your desk and Jesus walks in. Well, if it was Jesus, yes, maybe you would. But if someone else walked in, you know, Donald Trump, no, that's a bad example. Um, someone else walked in, would you, of some sort of, you know, that had a reputation, let's say. This person's got a reputation. Jesus was gathering a reputation for himself. But would you just get up and go? Would you trust that person enough to do that? 
It's a big decision. Would you spend less time deciding what you're going to uh, do with your, the rest of your life than what you're going to cook for dinner that night, which is effectively what they did? Although I guess their decision was quite clear because it probably would have been fish for them. But, you know, would you spend less time saying, yeah, I'm going to go and, and give up my life to this person than, you know, than actually uh, what you're going to eat for dinner that night? So accepting that call for, for James and John appears instant. It was a major decision in their life, um, and it was life-changing. Why did they go? Mark 1.22 says this, They were amazed at his teaching, for he taught as one who had a real authority, quite unlike other teachers of religious law. The authority that was recognized in Jesus was an authority all of his own. He didn't need to quote others. He didn't need to, um, to, to sort of like back up with other things. His teachings were all his own. And, and they were experiential in nature. And they were full of life and truth. And one of the commentators, when I was sort of reading about this, said this, Christ's teaching is unique in this respect. He doesn't argue, he affirms. He seeks no support from others' teachings. He alone is sufficient for us. He not only speaks the truth, which needs no other confirmation, speaks the truth, which needs no other confirmation than his own lips, but he is the truth. And that's what they recognized in Jesus. The other teachers of the day, it was more about, you know, sort of obedience, but it was dry and it was about behaving in a particular way and how you did stuff. But there was something about the authority that Jesus carried with him, something about the way that he was doing things, something about the way that actually his ministry was turning lives upside down and inside out, but for all the right reasons, because he was accepting and loving and just, and just sort of reaching out to people in grace and love. And it was that that attracted the, um, the disciples to him. And that, that, that came with an authority that they recognized. And, and they wanted to be part of whatever it was, this adventure. And I, I imagine they had no idea what the next, what the next steps were going to be about. But they knew it was something to be worth part of. And it was exciting. Jesus' teaching called the people to live out lives that demonstrate the impact of love and obedience to Christ and the impact that that can have on a broken world. And it was about healing, wasn't it? It was about forgiveness. It was about compassion. It was about being inclusive. It was about correction but in love. And it was about the importance of prayer. And James and John really appear to have got this, this, this who Jesus was, this authority that he was, he was carrying with him. Um, and Jesus didn't, didn't hesitate calling them, and they didn't hesitate when Jesus issued the call to them to come and follow. And do you know what? What's really exciting is that we are all issued with the same unhesitating call from Jesus on our lives. We're all issued with that same unhesitating call. He doesn't look at us and go, mm, I'm not sure. Oh, I don't know. We're all issued with that same call. And do you know, the, the truth that I want to speak over all of us this morning, and it was really interesting what Hazel was saying, because I really feel passionately about this, and we're going to have some time at the end where we can, when hopefully you can think about it, but do you know what? God loves you. 
<laughs> and God loves who you are. He loves who you are. And that's what he demonstrates by the way he called these disciples. He loved who they were. And I don't want, I don't want you to sit here thinking that there's anything God can't deal with, that there's anything God doesn't love about you because he loves who you are, because he created you in his image. So to what extent um, are we called? Do we feel that we are accepted by Jesus? To what extent do we understand that we are accepted? Look at the disciples. Just look at the disciples and look at what they're prepared to give up. Because they were the first examples of, of this sort of role model, if you like, of what discipleship is about. And discipleship's what we're called to. That's what we're all about, isn't it? That's why we do what we do. That's why we meet. That's why we do all this church activity and, and why we do all, you know, when you're out in your workplaces and your disciples in those contexts. And Jesus has called you unhesitatingly to that. James and John's adventure began with a very straightforward yes. And off they went. They left their dad, they left their business, and off they went. What would it take for you or I to follow with such freedom and abandon? Secondly, they were themselves. The boys obviously had a bit of a reputation because Jesus nicknamed them the Sons of Thunder. This was probably because of their tendency to flare up, their tendency to, you know, foot in mouth um, and get angry, overzealous about things. It's not a nickname that stuck with them in the same way that Peter's nickname, The Rock, stuck, in, you know. But nevertheless, Jesus obviously knew what he was taking on when he called these boys, when he called these men to be part of his team. And I love it because it shows that he's accepted them at the point of call for who they were. For who they were. He didn't stick a load of conditions on them following him. He didn't say, right, well, if you're going to follow me, then you need to do X, Y, and Z. He didn't do that. He just said, come follow me. And they followed him. We overcomplicate it, don't we, sometimes? We really do. We really do. We could just go into our workplaces and just issue that call to people. See what happens. Jesus, do you know what? Jesus says he loves you. He says, come follow him and see what happens. See the power in that. Because we carry that, we're entrusted with the same revelation that, that the boys were entrusted with. We're entrusted with that too. It's lasted all this time. And so we could, we could be offering that. And maybe you do. And I'd love to hear stories where you just do that. Let's not overcomplicate it. Jesus accepted them at the point of call for who they were. And actually, I think he had a bit of fun with it as well because he called them the sons of thunder. He kind of knew what he was taking on. I imagine them as lovable rogues, really. 
Um, you know, when you sort of, they're just sort of overexcited puppies. You know, when you, get, you first get a puppy and it all starts off all right, you're playing with them and then it just goes a little bit over the top and you're just like, right, calm, calm down now, come on. And I imagine James and John would have been a little bit like that at times, overexcited puppies. Um, but they were so enthusiastic and passionate about Jesus and passionate about truth. They didn't understand it all. They didn't get it all and they got it wrong. But they were themselves, and that didn't stop them expressing who they were. It didn't stop them using that passion and that zeal and that, uh, using who they were in order to be Jesus' disciples. And we see in Luke 9 um, an example of their overzealousness, if you like. It says, as, time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messages on ahead who went into a Samaritan village, a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, "Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them all?" <laughs> really? <laughs> you just imagine Jesus, can't you? Really? Okay. You've been with me all this time. You think that's the way I operate. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. So, yeah, they were a little bit silly at times. They didn't get it, but Jesus was still using them. And do you know what? They were, along with Peter, the inner circle. They were only, the only ones allowed to witness the healing of Jairus' daughter. The only ones that were there at the transfiguration the only ones that were actually there when Jesus was probably at one of his most vulnerable points when he was in agony in the garden. And then they get it wrong again. So Jesus said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. What do they do? <sighs> they fall asleep. I like to think that if I was entrusted with my best friend's vulnerability in the way that they were. They were, you know, people, we, we don't allow each other to see our vulnerability, and I've talked about vulnerability before. We don't allow each other to see our vulnerabilities, do we? We really don't. We like to keep it close. We like to pretend that everything's okay. Here Jesus was with his three, um, you know, the, the inner circle, if you like, showing them, declaring to them, letting them see the agony he was in, the utter utter desperation and agony that he was in. I'd like to think if that was me, I'd be trying to fix it. I'd be, you know, I would be on guard. I'd be there. I'd be watching. I'd be kind of like praying. I, I'd like to think that, you know, I would be trying to do something positive in that situation. But no, these three, bless them, they fall asleep. And then not only do they fall asleep once, they fall asleep twice. And it says in Mark 14, they didn't know what to say to Jesus. <laughs> well, I should think not. When he came back and says, why have you fallen asleep again? They didn't know what to say to him. So the relationship was, you know, they let him down. They let him down. But Jesus had them as part of his inner circle. He loved them for who they were. And he accepted them as they were. And he continues to entrust them with the revelation of Christ, with the truth. That's massive, isn't it? And that's massive because that revelation was just being revealed. It was being revealed gradually. And it was new. It was new to the earth. It wasn't what they were expecting. But Jesus continues to entrust this revelation to his disciples who had all sorts of issues going on, who really were struggling. 
So there's a challenge for you and me. How often have you said to God, I'm just not up to this call, or I'm not good enough? I'm not like him or her, so therefore I can't. How often have you said that? Do you know what? Those are all lies. They're all lies. Just look at the disciples more closely. Look at the disciples more closely and be encouraged. I believe the disciples' um, weaknesses were also their greatest strengths. I think their weaknesses were also their greatest strengths in so many ways. And that's surely what God does in our lives, isn't it? He uses who we are and he uses what we have and he transforms us by the renewing of our minds. But he uses who we are and what we have and he transforms by the renewing of our minds, by walking alongside him day in, day out, being entrusted with the revelation of who he is and the way he wants to impact and affect this world. (coughs) It's about self-sacrificial love, and it's about grace. It's always about those things. It's always about those things. But you know what? God can, and God wants to, and God will use you and me. He will use who we are, and he will use what we have. And the third thing to say about these two is that they were faithful. James and John were passionate about Jesus. They were passionate about the truth. And they were passionate about his teaching on the good news. They stayed close and they were prepared to drink of his cup and to suffer. Yet there were still moments, be encouraged, there were still moments that demonstrate their lack of understanding and there's a, in um, Matthew 20, 23, where their mum comes and, and with them and, uh, and, and says to Jesus, and, and it says in one version, it says that they ask Jesus to do whatever they want. And, and basically, their mum comes and says, Jesus, let my sons sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand side. And Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. You can, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my Father. They're on this adventure with Jesus, and yet they don't really know what the rules are, do they? They're learning along the way what the rules are to this, this great adventure. And they're making mistakes. But do you know what? They're not afraid to kind of like to ask questions. They're not afraid to do that. They're not afraid to go with their crazy ideas. They're prepared to do that and, to, and perhaps to be vulnerable. And I think what this shows is that, yeah, they were faithful and they were prepared. They were prepared to to be faithful to Jesus no matter what. It must have been really embarrassing to be told, actually, no. No, you can't sit at my right and my left. John felt he was the beloved one. You know, they must have... There's a sort of sense of entitlement there, isn't there? That's what I was saying at the beginning. I wonder if there's a sense of entitlement. Maybe they're a little bit spoilt. They came from a wealthy family. Maybe they'd always had what they always wanted. 
And, um, and actually, they were being told here, no, you can't. This isn't my decision. But you will be suffering my, the, the cup, that I, drinking the cup of suffering that I am going to be drinking. And do you know what? They stayed. There was no reward in terms of the seating plan in heaven. There was no reward in terms of what they were going to be guaranteed. But they didn't walk away. They stayed. They were faithful. So not only were they not promised any status, they agreed to drink from the cup that Jesus was going to drink from, the cup of suffering. I think... If I was them, I might have wished that my mum had kept her mouth shut and not asked the question. Because <laughs> they're not coming off great, are they? It's not a great deal at the end of the day. No, you can't sit at my left and my right, and actually you're both going to suffer. Really, mum, did you have to ask that question? It, you, you know, it's, <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? But they were faithful. Their ministry continues to grow, and throughout Acts we see that. James and John continued in their faithful service, preaching the good news, full of zeal, boldness, and courage. And James's zeal is thought to be the thing that actually ended up with him, the reason why he was martyred. He was martyred by Herod. And um, it's, it's thought that because of his zeal, uh, that's what attracted Herod to him to sort of basically, you know, uh, take his head off. And um, he was martyred 14 years after this story. He was the first of the disciples to be martyred. But he was faithful, and he was zealous, and he was bold. And he did indeed pay the ultimate price and drink from the cup. And then in Acts, we see how John and then Peter were entrusted with the crazy. Last week, Sim talked about us making space for the crazy. If you haven't listened to last week's, listen to it. It's, it's great. And, we, um, and he talked about making uh, space for the crazy. Well, here we see Peter and John uh, going about their ministry, entrusted with the crazy. It was pretty crazy what they were getting up to. Two ordinary men, all their faults and flaws, in all their humanity, but empowered by the Holy Spirit, entrusted with the crazy. Acts 4 says this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked now how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has now become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there, are no, there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw, that's the Sanhedrin, the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there with them. There was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, at Sanhedrin and then conferred together. You see, they're creating confusion. There's, there's amazing confusion and, and chaos going on. The crazy is happening all around them. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. 
Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it, the crazy, I'm going to call that. But to stop this thing, the crazy, from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They're living the crazy. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. I imagine that means he was quite old. (laughs) I'm feeling quite old myself right now. Um, But anyway, it's just this crazy chaos going on. And Peter and John and James, they were entrusted with this chaos. Entrusted with this crazy. They were turning things upside down. They were doing things uh, in the name of Jesus. Jesus was just meeting people in miraculous ways and doing incredible things. And they weren't being afraid. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. As we go into our year of adventure, as we, as we think about a building, it is crazy. It is crazy. As Sim said last week, it's crazy because there's no, there's no money, there's no building, there's no land. But as for me, I'm not going to stop speaking about it because I believe God's in it. And if I believe God's in it and if I believe God's part of this, what, I may not know exactly what the next step is, but there's something. So let's keep speaking about it. Let's keep praying about it. Let's keep standing up for what we know to be truth. So their ministry continues to cause turmoil for the establishment. They've grown in authority and in understanding. They're faithful and they're non-compromising. And God used who they were. If you think about it, they were known as the sons of thunder. The risk in that courtroom was that John would not have handled it in the way that he should have done. But he didn't. It could have gone pear-shaped. But God had entrusted them with the crazy, and they rose to the challenge. So as we close then, to sum up, what can we learn, what can we take with us on our year of adventure from the lives of James and John? Firstly, they obeyed the call instantly. They just did it. They don't appear to have questioned whether they were good enough to be Jesus' disciples in that moment. They recognized Jesus' authority. Secondly, they were themselves. Their weaknesses became their greatest strengths. Thirdly, they were faithful. They wanted glory. They got a cup of suffering. But they knew the good news would turn the world upside down. They knew it was the only way, bringing freedom and hope to so many through acts of love and grace. And they were prepared to give their lives to that. They understood the cost of discipleship. And fourthly, they embraced and were entrusted with the crazy. They defended the crazy. They lived the crazy. It was a costly adventure for James and John in so many ways, but I imagine the most fulfilling as well. The most fulfilling. 
But the adventure demands nothing less than our whole lives. And that's quite something to take on board, isn't it? Nothing less than our whole lives. I just want, as we close, and we'll have, is Hannah back in? Yeah, so if the band come up. Just got a few um, questions to put on the screen, really, in response. And the band are going to come up and uh, play. Um, but I, I've just got these questions that I think are important for us to consider as we look at the lives of the disciples, and these two in particular. But as we think about our lives, think about who we are, think about this year of adventure. And so the first thing is, I'd like you to do a commitment audit. How much of you, how much of who you are, does Jesus get? And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, then I've got some really good news for you. Because actually, you can get to know him this morning. And he will come and live in your life and he will transform your life. And he loves you for who you are. You don't have to meet any conditions. You don't have to look a particular way. You don't have to wear white trainers like we all seem to be this morning on the stage. You don't have to do anything. He will just take you. And he will turn your life upside down, but in a really great way, in a really exciting way. If you do know Jesus and you have held things back and you've said, you're not going to have that bit, I'm a bit ashamed about that bit, and I'm not sure about that bit, then do you know what? Forget all that. Forget it. Let's get it all out. Let's get it all on the table. Give it to him and let him love you for who you are. Just let him love you. That's all you've got to do is let him love you. So do a commitment audit. How much of you, how much of you does Jesus get? How much of me does Jesus get? What self-limiting beliefs do you hold that hold you back? What don't you believe God can use in you? What don't you want God to see? Look at the sons of thunder. <laughs> Jesus loved them for who they were. He saw it all. He saw it all. There's nothing you can hide from him. And how's God challenging you to embrace the crazy? Maybe there's a decision that you've got to make that you're just teetering on the edge of and you think this is mental. In the world's eyes, this is crazy. But maybe God is really prompting you to, to make that decision and to do that crazy thing that makes no sense in, in sort of, you know, uh, our dinner party circles or in, you know, when you're talking to your friends at the school gate, whatever it is. So how is God challenging you to embrace the crazy? Because do you know what? He's entrusted us with the crazy. He has entrusted us with this good news. He's entrusted us with this incredible, incredible message, this transforming message. He's done that through the power of his Holy Spirit. We know, we know it, don't we? We know what it is we're about. If we're Christians and if we've been Christians for a while, we know what we're about. But allow God to move in a crazy way in your life. Allow God to, by the power of his spirit, to work through you 
for the sake of those around you. Allow him to do that. He wants to do it. He wants us to touch the lives of the people around us because he wants to touch those lives. And we're the best vehicle for that. So what's God challenging you to do to embrace the crazy? He's entrusted you with it. He's done it already. You don't have to qualify. You just need to trust him back.